Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I want to talk to you today from God's Word. God's Word is powerful. God's Word is awesome. It is, it, is, uh, it is an incredible source of power and joy in our hearts. And I want to I spend some time in Philippians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can turn it on or you can open it up and go there. And, uh, and I want to talk to you about how to have a really, really good day. How to have a good day. Now, I'm not really a cook. My wife is the cook at our house. And she is an amazing cook. She is absolutely amazing. And I think in part because God has given her a desire. Now, it, you know, it, I think I've already started digging a hole for myself. But anyway, <laughs> if I dig hard enough, fast enough, I'll come out on the other side and it'll all be okay. But, but part, you know, she's one of those cooks that likes to cook low and slow. And she, she just likes to do it from scratch. And if she needs stock, She's not, she's not opposed to buying some off the shelf at the grocery store, but many times she'll make her own stock. She used to make bread for us and it wasn't enough just to buy the flour. She bought the grain and ground the grain and did everything she could to, you know, have, have it just all completely homemade. And I, I just want to give you a recipe today for a really great day. A really, has anybody in this room ever had a bad day? Anybody? Okay, well, I'm, I'm with the right crowd. And I want to give you uh, what God has laid on my heart from Philippians chapter 4. And uh, I want to talk to you about how to have a really, really great day, a recipe for a really, really great day. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. I, I have to go here because I think this very first verse gives us some incredible instruction. The Apostle Paul says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. If you haven't underlined that, you need to. Because that is, that's 24-7. Stay true to the Lord. Stay true to him. Uh, your loyalty, your words, your actions, the way you behave, the way you dress, the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time. Stay true to the one who gave his life for you. Stay true to the one who redeemed you, the one who delivered you from darkness and delivered you, rescued you from hell. Stay true to the Lord Jesus, no matter what the day brings, no matter what is going on, no matter who said whatever they said, stay true to Jesus. And then in Philippians 4 and verse 4, he says this, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, most of my references will be from the NLT today. And uh, so if you're looking for the right translation, that's where I am. Always be full, always, always, good days, bad days, in between days, always be full of the joy of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Now what's amazing to me is that the apostle Paul, as he writes this instruction, is in prison. He's in chains and he's in prison. And, and his life is in jeopardy. I, I don't know about you, but if I was in prison and in chains and, and I was waiting for sentence to be handed down and it could be, it could be a death sentence and I wasn't really sure and I was going to write a letter to you, I, I, I'm not sure, but I don't think I'd be encouraging you to have joy in your heart. I'd be saying something like, help, pray for me, call a lawyer, a Christian one, but call a lawyer, get me out of here. I'd be saying stuff like that. Now, you're more spiritual than I am. You probably wouldn't be saying stuff like that. But the Apostle Paul wants these people not only to have the experience of the joy of the Lord, he wants them to keep the joy of the Lord. And I want you to know that that's what I desire for you, that you not only experience 
experience the joy of sins forgiven, the joy of the Holy Spirit flooding your heart and life and discovering him to be your healer, your provider, your protector, your deliverer, your all in all, but that you would not just have a momentary once a week Sunday experience with God, but that 24 seven, you would keep the joy of the Lord in your heart because the joy of the Lord is our strength. So Paul tells them, I want you to keep the joy of the Lord. Now, uh, I ask you if any of you have ever had a bad day and, and I came across a letter that was written. I want to share it with you. This was about a man who did not have the best day of his life. And he's writing an insurance company and he, he begins, dear sir, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information in block number three of the accident reporting form. I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You ask for a fuller explanation and I trust the following details will be sufficient. I am a bricklayer by trade. And on the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I found I had some bricks left over, which when weighed later, were found to weigh 240 pounds. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley which was attached to the side of the building on the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went back up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went down and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 240 pounds of bricks. You will note on the accident reporting form that my weight is 135. <laughs> Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which was now proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. This explains the fractured skull, minor abrasions, the broken collarbone as listed in section three of the accident reporting form. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley, which I mentioned in paragraph two of this correspondence. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold the rope in spite of the excruciating pain I was now beginning to experience. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming back up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, the broken tooth, the severe lacerations to my legs and lower body. Here, my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of bricks. And fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I am sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move, and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my composure and presence of mind and let go of the rope. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that is a bad day. That is a bad day. And I just want you to know that we are not guaranteed that every day of our life is going to be a great day, a happy day, a soft day, an easy day. There are a lot of things that contribute to uh, producing what we could realistically call a bad day. And uh, beginning with the fact that we're on earth, not heaven. And, uh, and just going from there, stress seems to be a part of our normal existence, our normal human existence. And there are a lot of things that can bring stress into our life. The death of a loved one can bring stress into our life. Confrontations, whether they're at work or at home. Um, you may have even had a confrontation on your way to church here this morning. Uh, confrontations in marriage, deadlines, legal problems, the loss of a job, divorce, 
uh, your, uh, a, a new job or maybe your current job could be a source of stress. Retirement can be a change of schedule that brings a certain amount of stress. Money problems, illness, parenting, the pace of life, the expectations that others place on you. The LSU Tigers. Uh, <laughs> unresolved sin, all of those things can combine and bring stress into our lives. And the bad news is that there will always be stressful situations. And God never said, he never promised that we would not, that we would be delivered from all of those things that produce stress in our life. And a lot of people think that when you give your heart to Jesus, when you get saved, that, that everything's going to be peachy and, and just rosy and it's all going to be soft and easy. And, and God just never did promise that. He, as a matter of fact, he said that there's going to be trouble. There's going to be some hard things. There's going to be some difficult things, but he said he'd never leave us. And he said that he would fill us and give us wisdom and enable us to be more than conquerors. And so the good news, the good news is that, that God has promised to help you and I rise above every circumstance in our life. And as we see Paul in the prison, his, he's lost his freedom. He doesn't know what the sentence will be handed down. And he's talking about joy. He says, you know, you've, you've joiced once and now I'm encouraging you to rejoice. Do it again. Be filled with joy. Keep the joy. Experience the joy and stay in the joy. And it becomes very, very obvious to us that what is going on on the outside of Paul is very, very different than what is going on on the inside of Paul. And I want you to know that that is a reality that, that is possible for each and every one of us, that no matter what is going on on the outside, it doesn't have to wreck, ruin, destroy, or slow down what is happening on the inside of us. That we can have the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, keeping us, filling us, encouraging us, giving us direction 24-7. Jesus had a few things to say. I want to share them with you just as a means of instruction. From John chapter 14 to John chapter 16, uh, Jesus is having a discussion at the table with the disciples just before his crucifixion. And he told them, and I'm going to paraphrase, he said, things are about to get crazy. But I, I don't want you to freak out. I don't want you to get upset. I don't want you to be discouraged because... Uh, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to take care of you. And I, I just love uh, this verse in John 14, 27. I'm leaving you with a gift. How many of you like gifts? You like gifts? Gifts for no reason. I mean, I like gifts when you're supposed to get gifts, but it's even better when you get a gift and you weren't expecting it. And Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving you with a gift. I'm going to give you a gift. And here it is. It's peace of mind and heart. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled and don't be afraid. And Jesus goes on in chapter 15. He said, I've told you these things so you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And in chapter 16, he again talks about the peace. And, and over and over and over, the Bible is encouraging us and, and, and giving us promises that we can hang on to about God's provision for you and I to live and have and hold on to the peace and the joy that he's provided for us. In Psalm 34, David writes this. He said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Many are the afflictions. That word afflictions is a, it's an interesting word. It's a word that is used to describe an Assyrian form of torture and death. And, and what they would do is if you committed a crime or they just decided they didn't like you, they would tie you to a post and they would begin to pile rocks around you until you look like a pyramid. And they would just continue to put one rock after another, one after another. They'd carry them in and they'd pile them. And so little by little, the air is literally squeezed out of you until you suffocate underneath a pile of rocks. And, and what a picture of stress that is. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, you're on my last nerve? That means some, some other people have already stepped on several other nerves already and have not moved off of them. They're standing on them. And somebody just stepped on my last nerve. You've heard of that phrase, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. And I want to share with you, 
I want to share with you a recipe that is powerful. As a matter of fact, it's so powerful, I, I'm not even sure I should call it a recipe. It's, it's more like an order to battle. It's more like a rules of engagement. But since I started with recipe, I'm going to stick with that. And so I want to give you a recipe that you can use to have a really, really great day. You're going to be familiar with some of these. And just because you are familiar with them, do not think that that diminishes the power in hearing and obeying what God has instructed us to do. As a matter of fact, if we were to leave the service today and you didn't hear another sermon, if you would act on what you, if you would do what you knew, if I would do what I knew, if we would just act and live on the truth we've already received, I'm telling you, there would be amazing growth in every one of our lives. So I want to encourage you. I want to remind you. And I want you to know the power that there is in what I'm about to share with you because this is the word of God. So here's, here's number one. We're going, to, uh, we're going to Philippians chapter four. And let me just go for all of you who are note takers. Here are the ingredients. There's five of them. Number one, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Number two, pray about everything. Number three, think about the right things. Think about the right things. Number four, be content with my things, my own things. Be content with my own things. And number five, trust God with everything. So let me, let me just start with number one. Don't worry about anything is, is what Paul writes in Ephesians 4 and verse 6. And what he, what he means is I don't want you to worry about anything, nothing, absolutely not one thing. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Here, now he's telling us how to pray. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. We worry about all kinds of things. We worry about the weather. We worry about the time. We worry about traffic. We worry about money, about health, about marriage, about our kids, about politics, about the economy. We worry about everything. And I've heard people say, well, somebody's got to worry. No, somebody does not have to worry, especially if you're a believer. No, you don't have to worry. That's not your spiritual gift. That is not your spiritual gift. And it's not going to do anything to bless you or bless your family or the people around you. Instead, it's the joy of the Lord that is your strength. So don't worry about any of those things. Jesus said, look at the flowers and the birds. Erase the stress marks from your face. Fix your face so you look like you're saved. And don't look or act or speak as though you do not have a savior who's able to save you, who's able to deliver you, who's able to prosper you, who's able to help you in every single way. In Deuteronomy 30, uh, in, in Deuteronomy 30, this is what uh, Moses instructed the, the children of Israel. He said, today, 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 and no matter how, what day, whether it's a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, when you get up and read this, it'll say today. So it's always good for that day. Today, I've given you a choice. You get to choose what kind of day you're going to have. He says, I've given you a choice between death and life, between blessings and curses. We make this choice every single day of our lives. Worry comes from that word that means to choke or to strangle. It's a picture of a divided heart. It's a picture of, you know, I know what God said, but, but, but look at, look at how big this, this problem is, this difficulty, look at how real it is. I just want you to know, folks, we need to turn our binoculars back around again and begin to magnify the Lord, begin to magnify the Lord, begin to magnify the Lord. We need to make him great. We need to look at him, get those, those binoculars turned back around and realize I've got a great big God, a great big God. I've got a great big God. There's nothing too hard for my God. I don't care what your experience has been. I don't care how many failures you face. I've got a great big God. And so do you. We've got a great big God. I don't care what the devil has said. I don't care. I don't care. You've got a great big God and compared to him, you got a little bitty problem. So quit trying to magnify your problem. Get your eyes on the Lord and realize, realize who he is. It is, it, worry can make you crazy. Worry can just, it can make you act crazy. It can make you talk crazy. There was a time when David, before he became the king, he was running from Saul, literally running for his life. And he ended up in the city of Gath and, and the king there, Achish, uh, and Gath is the city where Goliath was from. And David is there and, 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 and when, when the king 
when the king sees David and allows him to approach and get a little bit close, some of the military commanders were all upset. And they said, this guy right here, don't you know who this is? This is the king of Israel. And he wasn't the king. He wasn't the king. He was running for his life from the king. But they say, he, this, isn't this guy, he's the king of Israel. This is the one that all of Israel sings about. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David, hearing them praise him, praise him. His heart, the Bible says, he was terrified. He was filled with fear and began to act crazy and began to talk crazy so that the king dismissed him and said, why are you guys bringing a crazy man in here? And you know what? Sometimes we do the same thing even though we know the promises of God, we've read them. If we don't meditate on them and keep them in the front part of our brain, we can face things and you begin to hear crazy talk. Crazy talk. Like, why is this? Why, why do bad things always happen to me? Why do bad things always happen? What did I ever do to deserve this? Other people don't have these kinds of problems. God always helps other people and here I am. I'm just, that's crazy talk, folks. That's crazy talk. Crazy talk. Get rid of that crazy talk and begin to thank God and praise God and draw near to him. Find a place where you can worship and he will draw near to you and he will lift those loads and lift the fear and deliver you and set you free. We need to live just one day at a time. One day at a time. I wanna wanna encourage you, do not Do not, do not give worry a place to live. Do not. I know what you're like when you see a roach. I know what you're like. You move furniture, you roll up rugs, you go after that sucker like they ain't nobody's business. And you don't rest until you squash him like a bug. And some of you are probably my age and you've been doing that for decades. Never once have I met anybody who just opened the door of their house and said, you know what? We've tried exterminators. We've tried those little roach hotels. We've tried all kinds of things. We still occasionally see one run across the floor and we're just tired. We're just tired of this. We just throw open the door. Y'all come on in, come just move on. And we're tired of the fight. We're just tired of this. We're just tired of this. Why in the world would you let the roach of worry in the roach of fear. Don't give it a place to live. Chase it down and squash it like a bug with the word of God. You let worry come in, and I'll tell you what that demon will do. That demon will bring seven of his cousins. He'll bring fear, he'll bring depression, he'll bring hopelessness and doubt and unbelief and pride and despair. And before you know it, you'll be trying to crawl in that roach hotel. Has God been good to you? Has God been good to you? Has God been good to you? Has God been faithful to you? Has God ever abandoned you? Has God ever failed you? No, no. So here's the second thing he says. He says that we should not worry about anything, but instead we should pray about everything. Instead of worry, pray. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Sounds easy. I'll just confess to you, there have been times when I worried about stuff and then I prayed and when I stopped praying, I started worrying again. Has that ever happened to anybody else? Don't raise your hand. I I know that hadn't happened to you. Y'all are a mature group of saints. But it it has happened to me before. I'd, I'd worry, I'd pray, I'd give it to God, I'd plead the blood, I'd do all that stuff and as soon as I said amen, I'd get up and I'd be worrying again. And I talked to the Lord about that one time and you know what the Lord told me? He said, Paul, maybe you didn't pray. Maybe you just complained. And it changed the way I approached the Lord when I'd pray and when I would call on him. I don't want to just come and complain. I want to come and acknowledge who he is and what he's done. I want to do like David did in the Psalms. I want to remember. I want to to recite it. 
I want to I want to proclaim it until I feel something begin to bubble down in my belly. I want to I just want to give him praise for all. I don't want the devil to rob me of the memories of the times when I couldn't sleep and God touched me and gave me peace that passes understanding. I don't want to forget the times when I was sick and the doctor said I wasn't going to get well and Jesus touched me and I'm well today. I don't want to forget how God has kept his hand over me and over my family again and again and again. I don't know what it is. Anybody in, is there anything that you're worrying about? Could we just be honest just for a minute? I'm not going to ask you to tell me what it is, but can I just ask, is anybody in this room worrying about anything? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Stick it up high like you want to be sure God sees it. We're going we're to stop right now and we're going to pray because that's what the word says. Don't worry about anything, but instead pray. So bow your heads, Heavenly Father, right now in the name of Jesus. You know every circumstance, every situation, everything that is, that is vying for attention. We arrest those thoughts in the name of Jesus. We bring every vain imagination captive in the presence of our Savior. And I pray, Lord, that you would move in, that your sweet Holy Spirit would wash away the fear, the doubt, the confusion, the depression, the hopelessness, the helplessness. I pray, God, that you would arise with healing in your wings and that you would touch every heart and every mind. I pray that you, the God of all hope, would give us your hope so that we overflow with hope today and our trust is in you. I give you thanks, Lord, before I ever even see it accomplished because your credit is good with me. Lord, you've proved yourself so many times. You don't have to prove yourself to me again. I thank you. I praise you. I give you a sacrifice of praise. Come on. Can you just do that right now? Just give him a sacrifice of praise for his goodness and for his grace. So I want you to notice what happens next right after we, right after we don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Verse seven says, then then when we're obedient, then something's going to happen. Then God will do something we can't do. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts. That's military language. That's military language. There, there are warrior angels that will surround you that will protect you, that will fight on your behalf and they will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ, as you stay in Christ, as you live in Christ. Peter says it like this. He says, give all of your worries and all of your cares to God for he cares for you. He cares for you. Some, sometimes, sometimes the devil will just come to you and he'll just lie and he'll just tell you, God didn't care about you. God didn't care about you. He didn't care about your family. He didn't care about your health. He didn't care about your finances. God just doesn't care. God doesn't care. And the truth is, all God has ever done is care for you. That's all he's ever done is care for you. He cares about you. My wife and I were talking uh, not long ago. This year, we will have been married 47 wonderful years. And, and, and we've been through some storms. We've been through some storms. We've been through hurricanes. We've been through, we've been through some health storms, some, some health, I mean, really, some serious health storms. We, we've been through some financial storms, relationship storms, family storms. But, you know, as when we were talking about this not long ago, she, she said something that was so true because I, I was just trying to remember all the storms, and she said, you know what? She said, every single storm we've been through, it doesn't matter what kind it was or how long it lasted. Once we got on the other side, every single storm, we're better off after we came through it than we were when we went into it. Every single one. I'm just so thankful that God is big enough and strong enough and wise enough to squeeze a blessing out of every difficult thing that the devil tries to bring into our lives. So here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Pray about it. Pray about it. 
Tell God what you need. Let him know what you need. And then give thanks. This is how we pray. We let God know what we need. But we have to give thanks. We give thanks to let him know we appreciate. I'm telling you, giving thanks will change your life. Giving thanks will turn your day around. It'll turn your month around. Turn your life around. Giving thanks is, a, it is, it is powerful. It's, it's an incredible secret. And then he says, he says this. He says, think about the right things. Think about the right things. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with that. You know, a long time ago, several years ago, I got to the place, I used to be a news junkie. And I got to the place where everybody around me got aggravated because I spent so much time talking to the TV. And I know you don't do that, but I would. I'd talk as though they could hear me, you know, I was just telling them. And, And then it got to where I wanted to throw things at the TV. And so, you know, that was not a good thing. So it is important, ladies and gentlemen, that we think about the right things. Uh, I, I am thankful that God has blessed my wife and I with some amazing, amazing relationships, some amazing friendships. And some of our closest and dearest friends are people that when we get together with them, not one word, not, I'm serious, not one word comes up about politics. Not one word comes up about Washington, about Congress, about the laws, about what's, what, they're, what they're about to do or what they're not doing. Not one word comes up about the economy. I'm serious. I'm serious. Instead, they're talking about the goodness of the Lord. Let me tell you what I read in the Psalms. They're to, I mean, they're just exhorting and encouraging and talking to us about all the things that God is doing and helping, praying for us, and we're praying for them. It is the most, re- everybody ought to live like that. Everybody ought to have friends like that. You ought to be a friend like that. You ought to be a friend like that. And you will find that God will just show up in the midst of your fellowship and miracles will happen. Amazing things will take place. We can have peace. And then uh, and if we're not careful, if we're not careful, that peace can leave us as soon as we walk out of the church or as soon as we walk out of our house. Here's Paul in prison and he's thanking God. He says, he says in chapter one, some of the things he's thankful for, he's, he's thinking about this and it produces thanksgiving. His thinking produces thanksgiving. He says, I thank God every time I remember you. I thank God every time I think about you. You're such a blessing to me. You're such an encouragement to me. So I, I just, I wanna thank God for the way you've cared for me and prayed for me and, and encouraged me. I, I just, I'm, I'm amazed at this. He, he goes on and he talks about what God is doing through his imprisonment, how people there in the prison have begun to preach the gospel. And he says, some of them don't have pure motives, but he said, man, I'm just rejoicing that the word's going out. God's gonna take care. God's gonna take care of the garden. He's gonna, he's gonna going to, you know, weed what needs to be weeded. I'm just thankful that attention is being drawn to Jesus, that his name is being lifted up. I am just so grateful. I had such an amazing example in my, my grandmother. She was a lady I never once in her life heard her complain about anything. And, and I I wish that that would have been something in her DNA that would have got passed down to me. It's not, unfortunately, it's, it's in your DNA, your spiritual DNA, and it gets passed down from Jesus. That's how you get it. But it's an exercise. You've got you've to exercise some effort to change the way you think and, and just to, to focus your things into a spiritual matrix. So Philippians 4, verse 6 through 9 says this. Don't worry about anything. That's our first one. Pray about everything. That's the second one. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Then, then... This is what will happen. You will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. That means you can have peace when it's not normal to have peace, when it's not natural to have peace. You can have an overwhelming, not a put on peace. You're not numb. It's not that you're not feeling anything. No, you're feeling everything. But there is a peace. And there is an inner joy that sustains you. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Let me, let me tell you a quick story. There were a couple of ladies uh, that uh, are our friends. And, and I heard them talking one day. And as they were talking with one another, great Christians, great believers. And as they were talking with one another, the one lady looked at, at the other lady and she said, you know, I'm just so thankful that we become such great friends because I remember when I first met you a couple of years ago, I didn't like you. 
I didn't like you. And the lady that she was talking to said, really? Really? You didn't like, I never even knew. I never even, that is a fulfillment of this verse. There was a guard there holding up shield. There was, there was a guard there. There was someone who, no, that, that arrow is not going to hit you. Because you spent time in my presence today, I'm going to protect you from, from those thoughts of insecurity and those thoughts of in, uh, inferiority. I'm just going to protect you from that. And, and that's what God will do. That's one of the ways that God will protect your heart and guard your heart. And here it is. Here it is. He says, think about the right things. He says, now, dear brothers and sisters, one, one final thing, fix your thoughts. Now, let me just remind you. When you became a Christian, your life is not your own. Well, I, I, you know, I can say whatever I want. No, you cannot if you're a believer. No, no, you can't say whatever you want. Not, not if you're a believer. Well, I can in my own house. No, especially in your own house. Especially in your own house. Because the real stage where Christianity is played out is not the church. It's in your home. God cares more about how you talk at home than he cares about how you talk in church. He cares more about how you act at home than how you act in church. He says, fix your thoughts, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy. So he says, God gives us instructions on how to think and he gives us an eight stage filter. You ever seen those filters? You know, maybe they're filtering pecans or I don't know, whatever, you know, and it's got a screen and it shakes and the big ones stay on top and other ones fall through. Just picture something like that and there's an eight-stage filter. Look at this. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right, just, pure, lovely. So it might be true, but if it's not honorable, nope. It might be honorable, but it's not right. It might be right, but it's not pure. It might be pure, but it's not lovely. And it might be lovely, but it's not admirable. Think about the things that are, it might be admirable, but it's not excellent. It might be excellent, but it's not worthy by the time, worthy of praise. And by the time you get all the way down to the, he says, he says, verse nine, keep putting into practice all of these things that you've learned from me and everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then there's that word again. Then, then if you do this, then if you don't do it, oh, well, but if you do it, then the God of peace the God of peace will be with you. I pray that the Prince of Peace would rule and reign in your heart. Because of his kingdom, there is no end. And he is the Prince of Peace, an eight stage filter. And I just love this. He says, whatever makes it through that filter, glue it, tie it, nail it, weld it, stabilize it, secure it, focus it, fix your thoughts on that. And that's, that's got to, that narrows it down a lot. It's either the word of God or the, or the things that God has done in your life that are just a testimony and a praise to him and all that he's doing for you. And, and that remind that fix your thoughts. That reminds me of Isaiah 26 and verse three, which is another powerful verse about peace. It says, you will keep in perfect peace. All who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And what I love about that verse in Isaiah, he didn't say that you would just experience perfect peace. He said he would keep you. He would keep you. And that's what we're talking about. How to keep, how to stay in the joy of the Lord, in the peace of God. He said that he would keep us in perfect peace over and over. I just want you to know, folks, God hasn't brought you this far to leave you. God didn't teach us to swim and just to let you drown. He didn't build his home in us so he could move away. He didn't lift us up to let us down. He is at work in our hearts. And so if I allow my mind to dwell and meditate and focus on unholy things of the world, the consequences are that the joy and, and the nearness of the peace of God are, are not, they're, they're, they're not around me. They're, they're lost and my heart is not guarded. I can't, I can't afford that. I cannot afford that. I need the peace of God. I need to be able to make right, sound decisions. I need to. So here's the fourth thing. He says, be content. Learn how to be content with your things, 
with your things. That when your neighbor gets a new car, don't have a bad day because he got a new car. Uh, when, you know, when, when other people are blessed and they're prospering, rejoice with them. Learn how to be content. Notice what Paul says. He says, not that I was ever in need. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned, I have learned, I have learned how to be, that almost sounds like school, doesn't it? I have learned. You know what that says to me? It's not automatic. It's not automatic. It takes some effort. You might have to focus on this a little bit, but I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. What did Paul have when he's writing this? He had chains, he had a prison sentence, and he had Jesus. He had chains and a prison sentence and he had Jesus. And he had a victorious heart. And he said, I've learned how to be content. Cody, do you know that song, I Got Saved? Part of the course, I just love, I love the course. It says, I'm undone. I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. I'm restored and made right. He got a hold of my life. I got Jesus. How could I want more? I got Jesus. How could I want more? That should be our testimony. Gratitude and thankfulness creates a toxic atmosphere to to discontent. And discontent is one of the devil's most effective weapons. That's what he used to trip up Adam and Eve, who not only lived in a physical environment that was perfect, Adam and Eve didn't have a fallen nature. They didn't have a fallen nature. They didn't know what it was to tell a lie, to get angry, to manipulate one another, to lose their temper. They had no idea what any of that was. And how did the devil trip them up? He came, he came, no, it wasn't an apple. It, was, it just says it was a piece of fruit. But the devil came to Eve and he said, look at that fruit right there. He said, isn't that some good looking fruit? Good looking fruit. Look at the colors. Have you ever seen colors like that? Now God had already told them, you guys are free to eat all the blueberries, all the raspberries, all the strawberries you want. You can pick peaches off the tree, mangoes, apples, grapefruit. You can have everything in the garden. But the fruit of this one tree, I don't want you to eat this. And, and, and so the devil goes to work on Eve. Look at that fruit. It looks gorgeous. Doesn't it look good? Whoo, girl, that's some good looking fruit. Can, did you get a whiff of that? That, fr- man, that smells good. That smells better than flowers. That fruit smells so sweet. It's so amazing. Just feel it. You don't have to eat it. Just touch it. Just touch it. And she touches it. You know, it's a little bit, step by step, a little bit, a little bit, a little compromise here, a little compromise there, a little, little more compromise. And then the devil said to Eve, although it's not written in the Bible, I'm sure because I've had an encounter with him and he says the same thing all the time to everybody. What kind of God would give you an appetite for that and then tell you you can't eat it? What kind of God would create that kind of beautiful fruit, smells so good, looks so good, feels good when you, and then tell you, you can't have it. And totally forget about all the peaches and all the apples and all the grapefruit and all the mangoes and all the berries and everything else that God has provided. He's been doing that exact same thing for thousands of years. And the word of God tells us that we need to learn how to be content. Philippians chapter four and verse 12, Paul says this, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with full stomach or, an, or empty with plenty or little. And the secret of being content is being thankful, being thankful for everything you have, realizing nobody owes you anything, realizing that you really are doing better than you deserve. You really truly are. I just, you know, I wish Burger King had never come up with that, uh, that advertisement. You can have it. You're, you deserve to have a great day today. You deserve it. We, we have in generations now who feel like, oh, I deserve. I just, you know, the truth of the matter is you and I deserve hell. That's what we deserve. And thankfully, God has stated in his word that he does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not. He has graced us with his presence. He has poured out abundant blessings on us. But the one thing he's not done is give us what we deserve. He has rewarded us. He has blessed us. He has lifted us up and crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies. So here's the last thing. I'm going to close with this. We are to trust God for everything. Philippians 4.13. 
Philippians 4.13. This is one of my favorite verses. And, and it, I just want to read it to you. It says, for I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. I love those first two words. I can. Would you say that with me? I can. One more time. I can. It just, it breaks my heart when I hear people say, I just can't. I can't. I can't do this anymore. I can't take this anymore. I can't live. I just, you know, I just can't. I can't. I can't. I, I just can't. I, I can't. I can't deal with this. I just can't. If you are a believer, you need to start learning how to say, I can. I can. I can trust God. He will supply my every need according to his riches in glory. I can. And I'm just so thankful that, that when, when God says that, that he will and, and that you and I can say, I can, it means that God has promised to meet every need. When I begin to run low or run short or run out of love or faith or hope or cope or strength or forgiveness or wisdom or direction, he will provide for all of my needs according to his riches in glory. And I can keep persevering. I can keep pressing on. I can continue to trust him. I can stand in faith. I can be more than a conqueror. I can rise up in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit to be all that he has called me to be. God wants to heal. He wants to provide healing for every heart, for every mind, for your emotions, for your body, for your family, for your marriage, for your finances. Jesus will give you what you need. And it is important that we learn how to tell him that we love him in the most important way possible. It's one thing to say, I love you. It's one thing to sing the songs. I love you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. That's great. We all get it. But there's another way to say I love you. And it's much more meaningful. And it goes like this. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I believe you. I believe you. More than what I'm picking up with my senses. I trust you. I trust your word. And I believe you. I'm going to act on you. I, I, I want you. I want you just to make a proclamation with me today. I want you just to say these out loud. This recipe, number one, let's say it together. Don't worry about anything. So let's, let's say it like this. I will not worry about anything. Come on, let's say it together. I will not worry about anything. Let's say the second one. I will pray about everything. Here's the third one. I will think about right things. Number four, I will be content with my things. I will trust God with everything. And this isn't one of the ingredients, but it's just powerful. And I think we ought to say it. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Would you bow your heads with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person that made a choice to get out of the house today and come to church. I thank you, Lord. These people here today, Lord, they're here of their own free will. Nobody forced them. Nobody bribed them. Nobody threatened them. Lord, they're here of their own free will. They are involved in a consensual relationship with you. And I thank you, Lord. That's the only way real love relationships work. They have to be consensual. And Lord, we come to you with all of our heart, with all of our mind. And we thank you, God, for freeing us. Thank you for reminding us and encouraging us that when we're filled with your spirit, that I can, I can, I can, I can conquer. I can overcome. I can rise up. I can experience your goodness and your grace, no matter what the circumstances are. And Lord Jesus, I pray that this week would be a week filled with your glory and your blessing, filled with divine appointments, filled with people who are overflowing with joy and with peace, regardless of what the weather is like on the outside of their life. I pray in their heart, it'll be sunshine and clear skies and warm sandy beaches. I pray, Jesus, that you would do an incredible work in each of our hearts. Now, I want you to know that if you're here today and you've heard this, I want you to know that there's, there's, you, you really have to have a relationship with Jesus for this to be powerful in your life. Otherwise, it just sounds like words, but God has made a way for us to have a relationship with him. There's a huge difference between being religious and being godly. Anybody can be religious, but you've got to have a relationship with Jesus in order to be godly. 
He imparts his spirit into us. He changes us from the inside out. And if you're here today and you've heard these promises and these instructions and you would like to apply these into your heart, I just want you to know that it starts first with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said this. He said, you can't even really see the kingdom of God until you're born again. And then he says, you must be, this is an imperative. This is not an option. This is an imperative. You must be born again. And that happens when we pray. There's three important things that that we need to know. Number one, just A, I need to admit that I'm a sinner. I've, I've got to admit that I'm a sinner. Jesus said that doctors only come, physicians only come for people that are sick and they know they're sick. They know that they don't want to be sick anymore. Jesus said, I'm like that. He said, I come for people who are sinners. They know they're sinners and they're not afraid to admit it. And they're willing to say, I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've gone places I shouldn't have gone. And I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. I want to be free from that. We have to admit our own condition. The second thing is B for believe. I've got to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he will do what he said he will do. I have to believe that he is the son of God come in the flesh, that he went to the cross in my place and in your place and that he rose again on the third day so that we could have everlasting life if we would surrender to his lordship. And then C is the third thing and that just stands for confess. That means I declare with my mouth. The Bible says that God made Jesus Lord. God made Jesus Lord. So when you and I encounter him, he's already Lord. We don't make him Lord. He's already Lord. But we can surrender to his lordship in our lives. And confessing that, saying that out loud, that I've made Jesus the Lord of my life, I've surrendered to his lordship in my life, is a powerful thing to do, that we take that stand by faith, that we declare it. If you're here today and you'd like to take that step into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd lift your hand real high, I just want to see who I'm praying with. And then I want to lead you in a prayer. Just, is there anyone lift your hand real quick, lift it up, wave it around. So I can see you back here in the back. I see, is there anyone else? I see another hand back here. Anyone else? Anyone else? I don't want to miss you. Wave it around a little bit. I see another hand over here. Okay. Now here's what I want to do. I want to ask everyone just to join with us and let's pray together out loud. I want to ask you to repeat after me. Those of you who raise your hands, maybe for the first time you're praying this, everyone else as we remember the first time we gave our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. And today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin. I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it cost me. And I declare that God is my father, that Jesus is my Lord and savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper and heaven is my home. In Jesus name I pray, amen, amen. Give God praise right now, would you?